Hi, this is Jordan Shively. Hi, this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then we try to find the silver lining and flip it into something that, while probably not positive, will at least be productive. How you doing today, Brock? I'm doing pretty okay. I think we're all in a living hell right now, but we're trying to make the best of it. How are you doing on your end? I'm doing okay, you know. I have a pretty interesting story to talk about today, so that's always fun. But before we begin, uh, so last night my friend Abby came over to introduce me to the wonder that is uh, the Punisher War Zone, uh, which, uh, boy, that's that's a movie that... That is a statement you can say about it. That is a movie. <laughs> it is a movie where everyone gives it 110%, even if they should not. Uh, and at some point, uh, Jordan r- responded... Uh, on Twitter, I was like, that is a movie with it where the opening scene really lays it all out. And my friend, Abby, a good friend of mine, uh, sat on, on my couch and said, Oh, uh, hottest singles. I love his podcast. Oh, 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 that is, oh, it tastes so good. And I sat there for maybe three minutes, just staring, waiting for like a joke to come or something. And I was like, which podcast thinking perhaps Jordan has launched one of the many other podcasts he's suggested. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that dark self care thing. I fucking, I just really love Jordan on that show. Does she only listen to half of it? (laughs) I think it's, it's very delineated and obvious that there's two people on the show. It's a weird show to break into two 10-minute segments, but a fucking... And then they just, like, they think the carrying into the void first one is, like, the end of the show, and they hit stop. <laughs> Every time I think I'm, I'm a little... I, I think I have a little bit of internet fame, uh, just uh, usually overshadowed by Jordan. Jordan specifically. <laughs> what did they say? Oh, yeah, they... At some point, I was like, do you mean the one with me? And she goes, uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was. I think she was looking at the phone and the brain was just like, I know who that is. And I, I like his show. OK, that, that's better than, than like them just somehow having like mentally blanked you out of the show. I'm actually getting sad uh, getting into the specifics Aww. of it. I, I didn't give it that much thought last night, but now I am like, oh, am, am I entirely forgettable? Wait, can anybody actually hear me on this show? I mean. Daniel edits you out at the end. Oh my God. This would be such a weird way to find out. (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. And you start going back and it's like a scene of you, like pulling up all these files and connecting it all and stuff. Oh God. So yeah. Give me a fun story today. Jordan (laughs) star of the Jordan show. Okay. So today I'm going to talk about the Toynbee tiles. It is a story that has a lot of weird loops and turns i am so glad that we're doing this and if it's one of those that feels like it should have been like episode three or something but it's good that we're hitting it at like 17 i think it should have it's like one of the ones that we all know about and that we just didn't talk about yet for some reason but but also there's always so fucking much of it that there yeah you why not talk about it because there's always more (laughs) yeah it's obviously an ongoing story as you'll see at the end but um So at first it seems like pretty straightforward, but as I dug deeper and watched documentaries and read um, websites dedicated to this, quite a few wrinkles and turns happen in the story. So to begin to discuss the Toynbee tiles, the story starts with people noticing these cryptically worded tiles pressed into the asphalt of the streets all around the United States and even down into parts of South America. It seems to have begun in Philadelphia 
and then spread out like some sort of declamatory virus through the streets. The tiles, for the most part, had their letters cut out by hand and all said more or less the following. Toynbee idea in movie 2001, Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Resurrect Dead on Planet Jupiter. Not quite your average tag or art installation, really. It reads kind of like a gasping telegraph or code from the future, reaching back to warn people through the static of time. You can almost hear the telegraph beeps between each word. Toynbee, idea, in movie 2001, resurrect dead, planet, Jupiter. Um, so it's understandable that people became obsessed with cracking the code of what these tiles might mean and who was leaving them in the streets. Some of the tiles had smaller ancillary tile messages attached to them. Um, the message that gave instructions on how to spread the tiles yourself, the person was begging people to make more tiles as well. Others had alarming messages asking the reader to please kill all members of the media. And there was even one rare set of several tiles together that were like a manifesto. And it was just one long disjointed conspiratorial screed that just very much read like a slightly unhinged journal that someone would set into the streets. People though began to try and puzzle out the separate elements of the message. Most agreed that Toynbee referred to the 20th century British historian Arnold J. Toynbee, who was both a philosopher and a historian who wrote on his wilder essays and books about how the manner that the human race would probably need to evolve would be for the dead molecules of all the past human race to be reconstituted or resurrected on Jupiter, which for a historian is a pretty speculative fiction kind of idea. <laughs> um, this though exactly does tie directly into the line movie 2001, which most people believe is referencing Kubrick's 2001, a space odyssey, which was built upon some of the ideas that Toynbee had as we see at the end of it with its enigmatic death and rebirth ending. But spoilers on that for 2001 A Space Odyssey, which... Oh, I'd never heard about that. That's insane. Okay. Yeah, and, and no no one really talked about it very much, but my mind automatically ju- jumped to the Toynbee Convector by Ray Bradbury, um, which I assume, since he's a speculative fiction writer, was also talking about the Toynbee writings. Because that book is all about, like, for human race to survive, it has to keep pushing outward. So he probably was dialoguing with Toynbee, but just being like, eh, even, even as Ray Bradbury, I'm not going to write a story about dead molecules on Jupiter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so people are obsessed with this and they rapidly start drawing parallels to a David Mamet one act play 4 a.m., which touches upon a caller calling into a radio talk show to talk about the Toynbee idea of dead molecules being brought back to life on Jupiter and needing to spread the word of this to the radio station. When asked, Mamet would say, though, that his idea was based on listening to old Larry King call-in show, but 
not any specific caller or topic. He was very adamant that he everything his plays he made them up. They're all his own original plays, which I guess if you're a playwright, you kind of have to stick to. I know I didn't plagiarize this from a phone call, but <laughs> by this time though, the internet had happened in forums and message boards. So people were writing in and comparing the facts of new related phenomena, like the fact that on few occasions, or the alleged fact, on few occasions, people had reported the text of the tiles coming in over their rate, their television sets, like phantom garbled broadcasts. And someone had also posted a newspaper account that was several years before Mammoth's play was published. And it was a small report about this guy who was contacting all the press outlets he could, trying to spread the word of this Toynbee idea in the Jupiter Colonization Society for its propagation, the Minority Society. He was trying to get on television. <laughs> oh, dude, this story gets crazy. He was trying to get on television newspapers and was calling into radio shows. His name was James Morasco. And he said he was the PR for the Minority Society. Um, and he was very upset that people weren't taking this idea seriously and they weren't giving him a platform to preach the idea of the Toynbee idea. Oh, no. How dare they not give him that platform he deserves? For the, for the dead molecules on Jupiter that he needs everyone to get on board with. It wasn't long before the call from Morasco to Larry King surfaced. And it was eerily almost word for word parts of the later published Mammoth play, 4AM. <laughs> this parallels there is like, I mean, you can't prove inconclusively, but line for line, there's parts of the Mammoth play that are the Morasco call to Larry King and also the things that he said in the newspaper article. So now, so now these investigators knew Morasco was a name associated with the tiles. Then pictures of a tile planted in South America surfaced, which on its own is crazy. But this one had a different message on it, however. This one had an address. A Philadelphia address inhabited by a man named Severino Sebi Verna. Sebi kept to himself and lived in a mostly barricaded and shuttered home. Very much kind of your classic recluse. No one would ever see him. They don't know when he came out to get groceries or whatever. He refused to come to the door, even to the end. Like, the investigators never actually got to talk to him. Because <laughs> he was one of those people who's like, I don't deal with people anymore. I've changed. Like, nope. Um, however, his neighbors shed a lot of light onto him. They said he was a quiet, intelligent man who would take care of wounded birds. They said he used to have a car with the passenger seat and the floorboards missing. That the car, the, the car had an enormous antenna on top of it, and that he used to drive around the neighborhood, and it would interfere with the television sets, and that there would be garbled messages coming through the television sets, and people would get mad at him about this. Also, th throughout throughout the neighborhood, the asphalt was littered with small fragments of tiles, almost as if someone had been practicing. One of the investigators around this time had also found a fresh tile that had only been laid like hours before, which shed light onto how it was being placed into the asphalt. 
the tile had layers of tar and linoleum around it, like a sandwich with tar paper on top. So when it was placed, it would be pressed into the asphalt by the passing cars over it, and then the tar paper would slowly wear away, revealing the message. It was the talk about radio frequencies, though, is the tip that finally paid off when the investigators started going to shortwave conventions. And these investigators put decades of their life into trying to figure this out, which is almost, to me, the same level of obsession as the person putting the tiles down. So they would go to, they started going to shortwave conventions and asking people about pirate frequencies that were talking about the Toynbee idea. And sure enough, because these shortwave enthusiasts, one of the things they do is they log every contact they get into like a, a log book. Someone had logged it. And even more, they had written into the address that the frequency was saying was the address for the minority society and received a letter back from one James Marasco, along with a bundle of informational pamphlets from the society, and they still had them. The pamphlets were what you would expect from a society bent on the spreading of the resurrection of dead molecules on Jupiter. Um, you know, a bunch of manifestos all about how everyone needs to get behind this and so we can end the curse of death. And also, it was a big idea about helping God fulfill the promise that he couldn't keep of heaven. It's like God is a kind of a shitty deity, but science can help him make good on his bad promises. However, in the handwritten letter that was allegedly from this James Marasco, the writer slipped up once and referred to himself as Severino Verna. So the picture finally came into focus. This man, Sevi who throughout the years had become more and more reclusive, started driving around in his car with the missing floorboards, dropping the linoleum through the hole in the floor onto the ground as he passed, leaving the paper covering to slowly wear away, exposing the messages beneath, all the while trying to broadcast his message into the radios and televisions of the media that had spurned him. Sevi was a man who thought he had found the answer to the oldest fear of humankind, death, and no one would listen to him. That's where the story of them investigating who did it, because they basically figured out who the Tyler was. But at the end, they decided that their research was, was causing this man who very much didn't want to talk to people like stress because he would, they would knock and he wouldn't come to the door and stuff. But they could see him uh -huh. there. So they're like, "We're actually we're going to quit harassing this guy," because um, <laughs> we they were they were they were they were fans. You know, they were into this thing. They loved that he had done this way of circumventing the media and stuff. And they were like, "This is the end of the story for us. We want to stop here and not <laughs> stress out this person who has had a lot of trauma in his life." and isn't dealing well with society anymore. We're going to quit being part of the problem. Um, and they made a really good documentary about it that you can go and watch. It's um, on Prime, Amazon. Sponsor us for free. Um, <laughs> and it's a really good documentary. And a small side note is at the end of the documentary, they start talking about, like, the documentarian decided to investigate another thing. He started trying to find the lost works of the artist Herbert Crowley, which was like these 
you know, like the six degrees of separation with people. I have like two degrees of separation from this guy because that became a book that my friend published with Beehive Books, The Lost Art of Herbert Crowley. Oh my God. Yeah. Beehive Books does great art books and they focus on, for the moment, they've been focused on lost art and like weird art that has never been printed and collected. So like this guy then went and made this huge book, Finding the Lost Art of Herbert Crowley, because apparently he just obsesses about one thing and then researches it totally. But oh my God. these tiles have continued to appear. Obviously, the mantle has been picked up by other people who just either like the idea of injecting mystery into the world. Because a lot of them have <laughs> have different formats. You know, like it's obviously not the same cut not the same designer or they're slightly better made or less better made, you know, but they continue to appear all over the world, even to this day. So resurrect the dead planet Jupiter, make it happen folks. (laughs) So that's a crazy story, but in like a really awesome way, I think. I'm 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 honestly more excited by the the fact that like the sort of dudes that spent decades on this realized that they had a person that they could talk to and had the fucking fortitude to be like, you know what? Uh stop harassing this person. Let's go away. Uh we don't need answers that that badly. <laughs> yeah, there was even a moment when the guy was on a bus going to the neighborhood cuz he would just kind of walk through the neighborhood looking at the different little tiles trying to pierce things together and he saw the person on the bus getting off in the neighborhood who he was so sure was was Sevi. He fit like the descriptions and everything and they kind of awkwardly looked at each other and then the guy decided not to talk to him. Fantastic. And, and it was like kind of this moment of him also releasing his obsession with these tiles. You know, he spent over a decade like photographing and kind of, I mean, he also is an artist in his own right, but I thought it was good that it had this almost like healthy, like realization at the end of it. It's like, no, we're done. We don't have to like beat this into the ground. Literally, you know, (laughs) Um, buddy, that joke was good. (laughs) I know. Right. I just happened. I didn't even write that one. Um, So this leads into my caring of the void moment. You are a conduit. Don't question it. Just allow yourself to listen. Open yourself to the voices of the past, to the spirits of those who danced on the same coil you now tread. Pay special attention to the unquiet voices. They have things to teach you, warnings. But be wary. Don't let them possess you. Your life is still your own. Don't fall into the feedback loop of constantly reliving the traumas of the past and others too closely. Feel the currents of the past flowing to the future, but don't drown within their waves. Resurrect the dead, but do it by living yourself. Yay! And that was the Toynbee Tiles. Uh, it feels it feels good to have that one under our under our, our list here now. <laughs> and go watch that documentary, y'all. Like it is fascinating i i just saw it like two weeks ago like i i not not watched it but found it on prime and i was like oh fucking cool somebody did that so i love that you grabbed this it's a pretty well done documentary too i also have to read the shit out of that mammoth one one that sounds amazing (laughs) it's a one act so it has to be pretty short right 
I mean, all man, all man, it's pretty short, but I like the idea that he also like he also just stole all the dialogue directly from this call. And I like that he probably thought no one would ever like put two and two together until these tiles <laughs> called him out, basically. And it wasn't even the tiles. Well, people did the resurrect on Jupiter was enough of like, a well, that's what that mammoth play talks about, you know, and he had said right. this is a well, this is a, the weirdest like. Thing that a fan has ever done on my play ever you know like he was kind of saying that this was like based on his play um but evidence would seem to say that it's not <laughs> the case jesus christ and it would have been i think it would have been fine if he had just been like yeah it's inspired by this one call that happened that at 4 a.m that was like whoa you know but you know he didn't he said he wrote everything originally <laughs> God. which could be a coincidence but evidence points otherwise <laughs> so what do you have for us this week brock uh this one was sent to me by five or six people requesting it so it'd be impossible to not do it i think the first one direct uh sent in my way was tom obedlam uh so uh thanks to the uk listeners for catching this first uh it's raining, it's pouring, the old man's snoring. He got into bed and bumped his head, and he couldn't get up in the morning. Uh, in the town of Ipswich in the UK, uh, which uh, already Ipswich uh, is uh, what uh, Lovecraft based Dunwick on in some of his work, so it, we're off to a great start here. This is fine. Uh, Ipswich uh, has, has a problem that... Uh, a woman in town kept hearing uh, the it's raining, it's pouring nursery rhyme oh, no. uh, playing in the middle of the night in the distance. Uh, <laughs> and and she's a mother living out here in the middle of nowhere uh, with her two young children. And almost every night, this distant tinny rendition of the song was playing. And uh, Daniel, put put that recording in now. Uh, that is terrifying already. So yeah, that's the sound that she was hearing every night. That's just <laughs> not great. Uh, and she, it was nursery lighting her. She wasn't sure if she was actually hearing this or not. She was like, the fuck is happening? And so after, and, and this is such a UK thing. After months of this happening every night, she finally called to complain, which in America, if we were five minutes into that, I would be calling the police, the FBI and finding my gun. Like just the the amount of tolerance that people in the UK have for each other. Kudos to you. So she calls the Ipswich Borough Council. And the next time it happens, they're like, give us a call. She calls them. They scramble a bunch of workers at midnight to go track down this music because obviously she wasn't wandering out into the woods or whatever to find it. Uh, and on the industrial premises of this uh, big business park that was a ways away, uh, they discovered that uh, they had these speakers set up and the people that owned it were like, oh, we, we set it up with the sound and stuff so that like uh, if our motion detectors uh, caught a robber on the property, uh, the sound would go off. But they don't obviously live in the goddamn business park, so they were never, never there at night. And their motion detector cameras were turned all the way up. So according to the photos that they have, the thing that was setting them off every night was pretty large spiders. Uh, so these large spiders were triggering a haunted children's nursery rhyme to play into the night uh, every night. And they're like, sorry about that. But why was it a nursery rhyme? I, it, 
it is an excellent question. Like, what is that? What scares robbers away? I guess it's just like the sound, and there were probably lights attached. But like, odd, odd choice. What a weird choice to make. I guess that would creep me the fuck out if I was in the middle of an, of a of a darkened business park, and all of a sudden, from all these speakers that started playing. I would get the fuck out of there. <laughs> it just it just becomes like the the whistle that the nurse does in Kill Bill that whoo 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 oh, whoo. God, yeah. You're just like, I, all right, I already right, don't right. want to go to this place. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go to this weird business park in the woods. So there's in that in the woods. Uh, so <laughs> in the woods, uh, and and the woman was like, the very first time I heard it, I felt. It was the most terrifying thing ever. I went cold and felt sick and couldn't stop asking, what on earth is that? Uh, and again, she let this go on for months before they realized that spiders were setting off cameras that were setting off children's nursery rhymes in the night. Uh, uh, I would I would have Brexited my way out of that. <laughs> uh, so here's my carrying into the void on this. Sound the alarm. You've seen what lurks in the darkness, and you know that it may one day envelop others in its cold grasp. Without your reverse siren song, you may never scare them from their hiding place, forcing them into the light, where they can be torn apart by the forces of a great element. Sure, sometimes your klaxon may be a false alarm, but we should all opt to be safe instead of sorry. And while you commit to this action, forever remember that the burning embers of your work are enough to warm others in the darkest of emotional caverns, illuminating ancient knowledge and carrying on your fire long after you yourself have become smoke. Tangentially, there are so many fucking spiders in the world and it terrifies me and we need to find a way to make peace with our allies despite the number of them that we've eaten in our sleep. Oh God, oh God, what if they know what we've done? Please accept my apologies. <laughs> oh man, that might be one of the scarier just little one-off stories that we've done. And I love that it's now, and I love that it's, and there's, they catch the spiders on the camera and they look quite large, but also just the patience of this woman who's like, look, I live in a fucking terrifying uh, William Castle nightmare every night, but uh, you know what? Maybe next month it'll get better. <laughs> oh, that's, that's nuts. Do you have anything you've been doing to take care of yourself lately, buddy? Yes, um, actually, I have scheduled medical appointments for myself and my partner to start having regular checkups and to get into mental counseling. Just, you that know, preventative things that we can do to try to lessen the, the feeling of anxiousness about health and about our anxiety itself. Because when you don't have it's just you wondering about why you feel a certain way. It just, you just spiral about, Oh, I'm in my dying is, um, am I going to get more anxious all the time? Am I going to be able to function? So it's good to at least try and go to someone who supposedly knows what they're talking about and hopefully <laughs> can give you some type of armor, some type of, you know, tools to deal with the world we're living in. Cause we're not equipped for this. We were never equipped for this. We are not. No human being was ever equipped for this. And we're not. And you are not supposed to have to function like this. So we need to take use of the few good things about being human. Um, technology, supposed civilization and human brain versus animal brain, you know, and let's try and build ourselves some walls. Like take some medicine, you know. 
get some counseling, <laughs> talk through things with someone who isn't your own internal monologue loop, you know? So I've sat down, done the, the thing that like your brain stops you from doing, actually making the appointments, you know, and we're going to start doing that. That's fantastic. How about you? Uh, my therapist uh, gave me a book on uh, a mindfulness, which not the first therapist to give me a book on mindfulness. And I'm always like, come on, I'll do yoga when I want to do yoga and I don't need breathing exercises. Uh, but do you? But <laughs> I yeah, fucking do, obviously. Uh, but uh, this one has a real focus on uh, on ra- uh, radical uh, acceptance. Uh, and it is basically the idea. She's like. I realized a few years ago that I needed to be in therapy when a friend who was a comic had a bit on stage where he's like, Hey, do you do that thing where like every like hour you think of something that you did in like the third grade or something, and then you fixate on it and you just get so fucking sad. And I was like, Oh yeah, I do that constantly. I just, I'm constantly remembering some dumb thing that I shouldn't remember. And then it ruins my day. Uh, and so radical acceptance not just for stuff like that, but for bigger, more fucked up things that you've done uh, is sort of this idea that like, well, you can't change the past. And my therapist was like, what is the thing that you like doing most in the world? I was like, I like doing good. I like helping people out and I, I like doing the stuff. And she's like, how much more energy would you have to do that if you didn't spend all day every day regretting things that you can't change and beating yourself up over shit? And I was like, well, uh, like a whole day's worth of energy probably. Uh, and so I, I've been in this kick of like for the first time in my life, like having a, a book that has like workbook pages where you're supposed to fill out a couple of things and actually doing it and taking it seriously and not being fucking me about it. Uh, and it has gone wonderfully. And like this week, uh, like I got hit with some weird personal stuff and was like, any time in my past, I would have been like, I'm not going to get out of bed this week because I'm such a piece of shit and how dare I. Uh, and now I'm like, you know what? Things are what they are. And uh, I start volunteering with Planned Parenthood next week uh, again, which I haven't done in like a year or so. And a couple of other groups, I'm going to a grade school to read to kids. And I was like, oh, look at all this energy that I have to help out now. Um well, fucking, why didn't I do this a couple of years ago and save myself some time? But can't can't worry about that either. Uh, so this is of of everything that's ever happened to me in therapy or every self help book I've ever plowed through. This one's working. So radical acceptance, kind of kind of an interesting thing. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, man, it's like it's like your armor class in Dungeons and Dragons. You got to get your mental armor class high enough that it soaks all the bullshit. So you got to like have like the little bracers, maybe a fucking little shield and it all together, all these different parts will give us the high enough rating that when we get slapped by something, it soaks. We have enough positives that we soak the negatives. I love your metaphors so much. I'm so glad to do this show with you. <laughs> all right. So what are you doing? Working on anything we should people should know about? Uh, let's see. Uh, I got my podcast. You can find them all on iTunes. Uh, been writing a lot of big, cool, interesting stuff. Uh, the, uh, the sex cult Nexium that I exposed a year and a half ago, uh, it looks like their leader is going to go to trial here in the next couple of weeks. So if you want to follow along with me and, uh, you know, maybe we'll all have a watch party together to see if that piece of shit goes to jail. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's, that's me. I'm at Brock Wilbur. 
Uh, Jordan, where can people find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter, writing weird things on the Dread Singles Twitter account, which is at Hottest Singles. You can also find things that I design over at voidmerch.net. And um, I'm writing for some role-playing games, which I'll announce more when they come out. So we really love that y'all are listening to this show, and we would... And congratulations to you, buddy. You have so much work you actually enjoy all of a sudden, which feels good. Trying to, you know, you got you got to piece together the life that you want. No one's going to give it to you. So <laughs> you got actually more. You got to rip and claw it from the carcass of the world. That, but that know. sounds more like Jordan. Um, That's a Jordan quote right there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what I'm trying to do. You know, build a, a life worth living. Um but we love that you guys have seemed to be loving this show and we would love to see a review of it or if you want to rate it on iTunes or whatever rating system you like, maybe just, you know, blood on a wall or like a animate <laughs> smoke signal or something like that. Whatever, however you feel like rating if us. If you could get some tiles together, we've, yeah. we've, we've told you how to put tiles into the asphalt. It's fairly simple. Rate <laughs> this show into the tile asphalt of your neighborhood. Um <laughs> Yeah, just carrying into the void and then the amount of asterisks that would be stars. Um, With its host, so Jordan Shiley. Give us a like, you know, a rating. We love that. It helps the podcast get seen. And then we'll see you next week. And until then, remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and mini. See you later. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye.